Welcome to Wattcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. What would it be like to follow in the footsteps of someone who lived through the Gilded Age and in the period surrounding World War I? What if that person also happened to travel in elite circles and counted among her relatives two presidents? What would it be like to see the world through her written words in her diary? Well, Sharon Hazard has had that experience and for the past two years has been writing about this person, this very special person, Kate Shipman Roosevelt, in a series on Woman Around Town, which we've called The Dowager's Diary. Sharon joins us today and we're going to talk about Kate's diary and what she's learned about this amazing woman who truly lived during amazing times. Sharon. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. So who was Kate Roosevelt? Kate Roosevelt was the widow of Hilbert and Lewis Roosevelt. Um, he had just happened to be President Theodore Roosevelt's first cousin. He was also uh, an inventor of the first pipe organ and the um, founder of the New York Symphony, which is now the New York Philharmonic. So how did you first become acquainted with Kate? I first became acquainted with Kate Shipping Roosevelt, while I was researching a story for just a local newspaper in Red Bank, New Jersey, called the Two River Times. And I had gone to this lawn, tennis, and cricket club in Rumson, New Jersey, which is one of the oldest tennis clubs, lawn tennis clubs in the United States. And while I was there, I was sort of looking around the clubhouse, and I saw this picture, and it said, Mrs. Hilborn Roosevelt. And I got to thinking, when the heck would Mrs. Hilborn Roosevelt be doing playing tennis in Rumson, New Jersey? Good question. So uh, I did a little research, and I found out that um, she was indeed from Rumson, New Jersey, and her family had a summer cottage there, and it, that's where she married Hilborn Lewis Roosevelt on February 1st, 1883. So I thought I'd write a story um, just about this wedding, which the New York Times said was the most brilliant event in all of the season in New York, in New York City or the Jersey Shore. Um, so I wrote the story, and it got published, and it was a lovely story about the wedding, and the mere fact that it was the last time that most of the Roosevelt family would be together again to celebrate. So you had no idea what writing that story was going to lead to? Absolutely no idea. I figured it was the last time I was going to make the acquaintance of Kate Roosevelt. But, um, lo and behold, about two weeks later, I got a call from my editor, and um, she said, there's someone that would really like to speak with you. And I said, okay, that's fine. She said, it's about that story you wrote about the Roosevelt wedding. So I said, sure, you know, I will be very happy to call her. So I did. I gave her a call, and her name is Edith. I won't give you last name because her privacy, because um, I would ask her first if I could give her last name, but she's a lovely woman, and she said, you know, I read that story, and she said, I think that in my basement there's a trunk, and it contains a diary written by Kate Roosevelt, the years 1912 to 1919. Would you be interested in seeing it? And you said no. <laughs> well... Luckily, uh, this woman who owns the diary lives not far from me, so I said, sure. So I went over on a Tuesday afternoon, and I was enthralled. It was more than a diary. It was more like a journal. It was a large, 
tall, thin ledger, and it had the initials KSR on the front, and it also just happened to have the Roosevelt coat of arms on the front page. So it was very, very brittle. The pages were yellowed and crinkly, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing, an amazing piece of history here. So Edith, before this, had no idea, or even if she did, she hadn't thought about doing anything with this diary. She had no idea that the diary that she had was the diary of a relative of Theodore Roosevelt. So, right. Until she took it out, and she started reading it, and said to me, you can't believe what's in this diary. I really would like you to see it. So I, I spent about an hour at her house, and I said, this is amazing. Um, and she said, would you like to... Um, uh, she would never let it out of her sight because it was so fragile and so valuable. She said, would you like to come over once a week and edit the diary? So every Tuesday I went to her house in Little Silver, New Jersey from 1 to 4, and we began calling our sessions Tuesdays with Edith. Tuesdays with Edith. And every Tuesday for two years, because Kate Roosevelt did not have the best handwriting, and the Roosevelts, she must have gotten this through marriage, were very poor spellers. So I would sit there for three hours every Tuesday and actually transcribe her, transcribe her words. And every diary entry, she began with the weather. Whether it was cold, hot, whatever, the weather was the first thing that she wrote. But as I began reading, I was amazed at the people that she mentioned, the relatives that she visited, going to Oyster Bay, um, Edith calling when her husband Hilborn died unexpectedly in 1886, just three years after their wedding. She had a lovely little note pasted in there uh, written by Theodore. He had just remarried Edith and he was on his honeymoon in Italy and he just wrote to her, Dearest Kate, I just can't tell you how sorry Edith and I are. I don't want to trouble you anymore, but I just wanted to let you know we were thinking of you, yours forever, Theodore. And Theodore Roosevelt, of course, was not um, a stranger to tragedy. No, he wasn't. Um, as a matter of fact, the wedding that I wrote about, he, at the time, in 1883, he was an assemblyman, and he was busy in Albany and could not attend his cousin Hilborn's wedding. But his first wife, Alice, did. She was there at the wedding. And um, when Kate became pregnant with her daughter, Dorothy, very shortly after Alice Lee Roosevelt gave birth to Alice and passed away, she wrote a letter to Theodore's sister, Bammy, Anna Roosevelt, saying how worried she was because of what had happened to Alice Roosevelt because she, too, was expecting a child. And her baby was born in July, Dorothy Roosevelt, and Theodore's daughter, Alice was born in February 1884, so they were very close in age. And Theodore was not um, a stranger to tragedy. Uh, when his wife Alice died, he wrote in his diary, the light has gone out of my life, and he never mentioned her again. So it was a little bit sad, but Alice and Dorothy were cousins, second cousins and best friends, and they both attended each other's coming out parties in 1902 along with four other Roosevelt cousins. They were called the, uh, the Magic Five, because five of them made their debuts in New York City, and Alice made hers in Washington, D.C. And um, each of them was at each other's 
parties and cotillions and served tea the day before. So these Roosevelt women traveled in very important and historic circles. So it's interesting, even though Kate's cousin was Theodore, she didn't always agree with him. Oh, no, 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 no. She didn't. She didn't agree with him on a lot of things. Most like most of all, his politics. Right, right. Uh, she said they were too idealistic and altruistic, altruistic for people of today. They might be better off in the faraway future. Interesting. And even though she was an independent woman herself, she really wasn't a suffragette. Oh, no. She was very opposed to uh, that movement. Is that correct? Correct. She belonged to the Anti-Suffrage uh, um, Association. She attended rallies and meetings. Uh, she called them soapbox militants, and she wanted nothing to do with suffrage. And it's interesting because we know, all know Eleanor Roosevelt, who was also married to a cousin of Theodore's, fifth cousin or whatever, but he was also Theodore, she was also Theodore Roosevelt's niece. She was in favor of suffrage. But Alice Roosevelt, Theodore's daughter, and his sister Corrine Roosevelt Robinson, were not suffragettes. They were opposed to suffrage. A lot of upper-crust women were, I think, because they didn't want to disturb the status quo. Kate didn't seem like much of a romantic, so was her courtship and brief marriage with the born a love story? I don't know. Kate Roosevelt was very pragmatic in what she wrote. She wrote about other people, but not always herself and her personal feelings. Maybe about politics or theater that she or a play she went to see, but she didn't really ever say she was sad about anything or afraid of anything. It was basically just written in her diary. She, of course, she didn't write anything. I have the diary from 1912, and Hilborn did die in 1886. Um, they got married when they were older. She was, I think, about 27, which in those days would have been a, basically a spinster. She was one of um, six daughters, and only two married, four remained spinsters for their life. And Hilborn was a bit older, too. He had been not engaged, but asked somebody else to marry him several years before, a woman he had met at a dancing class. And he wrote to his cousin, Bammy Anna Roosevelt, who was Theodore's sister. She was the family Ann Landers, basically. Everyone wrote to her. They, they told her what was going on in their life. But he wrote to her, and he said that he had asked this young woman to marry him. And she turned him down. He had met her at a dancing class. And he almost said in the letter, I read between the lines, that why do women lead men on like that? He was upset. But when he did meet Kate, he um, wrote to Bammy and said that he was deliriously happy and looking forward to marrying Miss Kate Chippen. So even if we don't have Kate's side of it, we at least have Hoborn's side of yes, it, Yes, right? he was that very he was happy. in love with yes. her. So he died uh, very soon after they were married, three, three years, right? Yes. And then Kate's daughter, Dorothy Roosevelt here, she lost her husband yes. early on, too. So how did that happen? How did... Her husband, Langdon Gear, who was a Princeton graduate, of, uh, graduated the year of 1897. He um, was a successful businessman, uh, a very nice nice man from what I can read from Kate's entry. She liked him. He's very well-respected in the family. 
he developed a boil on his nose, of all things, and it turned into septicemia, and he died very quickly, leaving her with a little boy, Langdon Gear Jr., who was three, and she was pregnant with a baby who would be born that October. I believe her husband died that July. She was pregnant with Shippen, and when Langdon died, Theodore Roosevelt wrote her a very beautiful letter, and it said, My dearest Dorothy, I want you to be strong for those born and those unborn. So it was kind of a poignant letter that he wrote to her. Um, her and her mother were two widows, and they were inseparable. They were together every moment of every day, basically. And, and Kate was also a hands-on grandmother, wasn't she? She was. She did everything uh, with those boys, her grandsons. I think maybe so that Dorothy could have more of a social life, although neither, uh, neither ever remarried. Right. And neither mentioned dating or going out, socializing a lot, but never one particular man that they went out with. Kate Roosevelt was really more of a mother to those children, I think, than Dorothy was, although they did have governesses. Miss, Miss Gowan was their primary governess. But Kate took them all over, walked them to school, took them to dancing lessons. She took Langdon for his first haircut at McCreary's um, down on Broadway in Lower Manhattan, took them skating in Central Park, took them out for rides, uh, took them to the dentist. She did basically became a surrogate mother. One of the things I love about your stories about Kate, Sharon, are the stories that talk about her uh, going to the theater and then writing her reviews, quote-unquote, in her diary. Yes. And she never really held back, did she? Oh, no. Oh, no. Kate was, I used to call her the Walter Winchell of her time, because she was an amateur theater critic. But she came by it honestly. She was an amateur actress before she married Hellborn. But in those days, if you were married, you weren't allowed to act in public, only for charitable events. You could never go on the stage. So as soon as she married Hellborn, her acting days were over. But I think that she was a little um, bit um, frustrated that she couldn't be on stage. She always she went to the theater probably three to four times a week and never failed to write a comment about the scenery the staging, the actors, and the plot. And, and she counted many actors and actresses among her circle of friends, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, Ethel Barrymore was her cousin Alice's best buddy. They were chums. And um, sometimes Theodore Roosevelt didn't like the fact that his daughter Alice was friends with, a, with an actress. But she was, because she was a bit of a rebel herself. And it's funny because Kate went to see a, a play called The Perplexed Husband starring John Barrymore, who was Ethel Barrymore's uncle. And she said quite blatantly, he's too fat and too old for the part. <laughs> she was also friends with Minnie Fisk, Minnie Matter and Fisk. Um, went backstage a lot of times, had her over for dinner. She admired her because she was a strong woman. Um, Minnie Fisk had a tough life, but she was a wonderful actress. She was um, one of the f women who fought the syndicate of Broadway. They tried to, one person tried to control what was going to be produced on Broadway, and Minnie Madden Fisk fought them. And she lost a lot of good parts for that, but in the end, she came out a winner, a strong woman like Kate herself. Kate always had a very um, clipped way of speaking. She would say that the 
the play was too nostalgic or for, for children, not for adults. Or um, the actress was okay, but the singer was terrible, or vice versa. She always had a comment, never failed to have a comment, uh, but she did go to the theater on a very regular basis. So besides the, some of the actors and actresses, who, who was in Kate's social circle? I mean, did she have any BFFs, for instance? Yes, she did. One of them was she referred to her as Flossie, Flossie Rat. And throughout her diary, she would say, oh, Flossie came over, Flossie did this, we did this, that. Well, I come to find out that Flossie was Florence Mason Rett. And I did a little digging, and for some reason I got the impression, because Kate was going to the Morgan house, J.P. Morgan's house, for dinners, lectures. And then she'd mention little things about Florence, Flossie Rett, doing things with the Morgans. So... I went to the Morgan Library, and sure enough, Florence Rett was the governess to J.P. Morgan's three daughters, Louisa, Juliet, and Anne. And she tra basically was their traveling companion. She went to Europe with them. She went shopping with them here in New York. She was part of the family, basically. And when she died, when I'm sorry, not when she died, when J.P. Morgan died in 1913, Kate had a clipping in her diary, and she made comments on who was left what. And Florence Rett was left $10,000 a year for the rest of her life, which was a big sum back in 1913. So um, she was a very good friend, and she was also very good friends with Bessie Alexander. And Bessie Alexander was the wife of John White Alexander. He was a, f a famous portraitist at the time. He was um, studied under Whistler, and he was maybe on the same par as Sargent, John Singer Sargent, he did portraits of a lot of the um, the wealthy, socially prominent people. And Bessie Alexander knew Kate Chiffin from their days in Seabright, New Jersey. They grew up together. When Dorothy made her debut, um, John White Alexander painted her portrait. And it's funny because I got a call last week from a curator at the Dallas Museum of Art, and they own the portrait. And they wanted to know all about Dorothy. You know, how come that she had her portrait painted by this famous artist? And they were very impressed that he was a, not only painted her portrait, but was a very, very close family friend. That's fascinating. So Kate was obviously concerned about uh, America's entry into World War I. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, her opinions on that um, and, but what she also did, I mean, because she volunteered, even though she may not have been on board about going to war, she really wanted to help the cause. She really was. She, uh, well, several of her nephews on her, her the shipping side of the family, they fought in World War One. They were very patriotic. And Theodore's sister, Corrine Roosevelt Robinson, was the chairman of the Preparedness Committee in New York City. And she personally went to Kate's house. At three, Kate lived at 301 Lexington Avenue here in Manhattan, knocked on her door and said, will you help? And Kate said, yes, we will. So Kate got involved in selling Liberty Bonds. She got involved in uh, rolling bandages at Lord & Taylor. She went to many lectures and ex exhibits on um, what was going to be happening, what was happening in Europe at the time. She was friends with Anne Tracy Morgan, who was already driving ambulances in France before we even entered the war, and helped to raise money for her. 
she wrote in her diary that Anne got uh, Anne Tracy actually got um, Mr. Ford to donate an ambulance, a Ford ambulance, to the cause in France. So she was quite involved, and her daughter even more so. Uh, Dorothy. Um, it's interesting because in the trunk where Edith found the um, the diary, there's also her e Dorothy's Brooks Brothers uniform, nurse's uniform from World War One, in perfect condition. Even has pins. It has the cape. It has the hat. Has everything. She volunteered at the embarkation hospitals and the debarkation hospitals where the men would come in and come out being shipped overseas and the ones coming home from overseas. Many of them were injured. And she also served coffee at the canteens. She was part of the Liberty Loan Drive. And um, whenever there was a parade here, Kate has a clipping in her diary of what was going on, marching down Fifth Avenue, um, she would go to Dutton's on Fifth Avenue, which was publisher, and I guess she must have been friends with them, so she got to go to the top floor and watch everything at a bird, from a bird's eye view. But even though they didn't like Woodrow Wilson, um, President Roosevelt did not like his politics at all, but they were behind the movement 100%. Theodore Roosevelt, in fact, tried to enlist. Interesting. So Kate was a club woman. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, and in so many of your... Entries in the Dowager's Diary, you talk about some of the clubs in New York, which are still around, and so it's interesting to go back to see what was happening during Kate's time. So, the clubs are what? The Co Cosmopolitan Club she and the Colony Club? She belonged to the Colony Club, Cosmopolitan Club. She belonged, of course, to the Lawn Tennis and Cricket Club in Seabright, New Jersey. Her and her daughter were very involved with the Amateur Comedy Club, but that was only for men. They had a female version called the Snarks. She was also involved in the um, Colonial Danes Club. You had to prove that your family, you could trace your ancestry back to before the Revolutionary War. So Kate Shippen, Roosevelt's family on the Shippen side, was in Pennsylvania before the Revolutionary War broke out. They were part of the original land grants given by the king. And her third cousin was Peggy Shippen, who happened to be married to Benedict Arnold. <laughs> so she was a club woman. She ate dinner at the Colony Club or lunch there on a basically a, a pretty much a regular basis with her friends um, Florence Rat, Mrs. Um, August Belmont, uh, the Morgan sisters, and a long list of famous actors, actors, I'm sorry, actresses, because it was for women only, no men allowed. The Cosmopolitan Club, she also went to on a daily basis. Um, I think she was more into the, I shouldn't say into, more involved in the Colony Club because they had many lectures, and she was never afraid to go to a lecture and find out something new, something that was going on. Um, so the Colony Club was kind of like her home away from home, basically, and it was originally on Madison Avenue. Um, between East 30th and 31st Street. So that was pretty close to her home because she lived on Lexington near 34th Street, so she could just walk right over. And um, it was her, her world. So if someone were to take a walking tour around Kate Roosevelt's, you know, neighborhood or, mm -hmm. you know, spots that had some significance, uh, what, what things would they look for? I mean, you know, the clubs maybe, 
where she lived, where she shopped. Mm -hmm. um, the Church of the Incarnation on Madison, I believe that's Madison 64th. That was where they ha had their weddings, their funerals. Uh, she, she was a staunch Episcopalian, and that's where she attended services. That's where her daughter Dorothy was married. She went to the Waldorf quite a bit, and uh, also Sherry's. Had dinner at Sherry's quite a bit. She ate out a lot. The plaza was where she celebrated Dorothy and Langdon's fifth anniversary. Um, the museum... I don't know if she ever mentioned going to the Museum of, of uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art, but she did go to many operas here. She went to the Metropolitan Opera, attended that on a pretty much daily basis. Any place you go along Broadway, she had attended a, a play in one of those historic theaters, and many of them are still there. Mm -hmm. So um, she did a lot of walking, but she also had a chauffeur. Um, he drove her around in what she called the motor. So if it was too far to walk, she'd take the motor, or sometimes she'd even take a hansom, which was a cab back, what they call cabs back then. She shopped at Lord & Taylor, and also McCreary's downtown, also Tiffany's, and also Brooks Brothers for gifts, for Christmas gifts, and for the men in the family. She, um, she was out most every day, walking around her neighborhood in New York City. She also had a farm in Heightstown, New Jersey, um, which was not far from Princeton. So she would often talk about going into Princeton and having tea at Grover Cleveland's house or going to Drumthwacket to see Moses Pine and have tea there. Drumthwacket is now the um, governor's mansion located in Princeton, New Jersey. So she traveled in pretty um, nice circles, and the places she went were still, still many of them are still in existence today. So and I understand that some of Shippen's organs are still yes. here in Manhattan. Yes. There are several still in working order. One of the most beautiful ones that I know of, and that's how I knew who Hilborn Roosevelt was, is at the Moses Taylor Memorial Church in Elbron, New Jersey. It was a church built in... Um, Memoriam Moses Taylor, one of the most wealthy financiers in New York City at the time he died in 1884. Um, his wife had um, a, seaside cottage, a seaside chapel built in his honor, and Stanford White designed it. So um, that organ is in pristine condition, and it's only played during the summer months because um, the church is closed in the winter, and that's the reason the organist says it's so still in such wonderful condition is because the church is not heated. Interesting. And it, it has lovely tones and it's absolutely beautiful and when it was it was the last organ that Hilborn Roosevelt actually personally installed. Wow. So Sharon, why do you think Kate Roosevelt is still relevant today? Well, I'm not so sure that she is, to tell you the truth. She lived in a very different world I compare her sometimes to um, Lady Grantham on Downton Abbey. I can only I can picture her tone of voice just by reading her diary, very nasally and prim and proper. I don't know that she's relevant today. Mm -hmm. And Lady Grantham, we're talking about the Maggie's, 
the character that Maggie Smith plays. Right, in um, Downton Abbey. In Downton Abbey. I, I don't think she's relative, because it's a bygone time, and she had a stable of servants wherever she went. She didn't really have to do anything. She had a cook, she had a maid, she had a chauffeur. So in today's world, I would say she's she would not be relative. In, the only thing that I would say that she um, would be is that she was very in tune to what was going on in the world as far as politics, politicians, any new invention that would come up. She was attending a lecture to hear about it or see about it, see what was going on, but I, I don't think she was relevant. It's She lived in a bygone era, but so that's why her diary is so much fun because you get to go back in time and see someone that you're never going to see again. So did you ever find out from Edith how this trunk ended up in her home? Yes, I did. Um, Dorothy's son, shipping gear, um, had rented a house in Seabright, New Jersey, um, near where the ancestral shipping home was, the Anchorage. And he had his mother living in this home. And she was very old. She was in her 90s. And he was going to be taking her back to New York City so he could keep an eye on her. And shipping gear was a distant relative of Edith's husband. And Edith and her husband needed a place to live. And Shippen said, would you like to rent the house till I sell it, whatever? And they said, yes. And he said, you can have whatever's left in the house. Lo and behold, there was this, this trunk. Well, the trunk went to San Francisco. It went to another house in Rumson and finally ended up in Edith's cellar in Little Silver, New Jersey, where I had the opportunity to, 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 to see it. Um, so that's how she got it. And also there's some furniture that was left in the house. And also, as I said, Dorothy's Brooks Brothers uniform, or were one uniform, and a beautiful little ball gown that Dorothy wore. And it was absolutely magnificent. It was black taffeta, and little tiny flowers were hand-sewn on the skirt. And that's still in very nice condition. Amazing. And... Um, also, I had the opportunity to meet Dorothy Roosevelt's great-granddaughter, Noelle Seifert. She's been following the Dowager's diary and, and contacted me. So I was able to take her to the Seabright Lawn Tennis and Cricket Club and show her where I had met her great-great-grandmother. And she had no idea that the family history involved all of this. She just didn't know because she's in her 40s and... Her grandfather was dead when she died when she was a baby, so she really didn't hear, know a lot about family lore. So she's been following the Dowager's diary, and we've been communicating, and she does have some lovely things that were left to her, including Dorothy, including Hilborn and Kate's wedding rings with the, um, the date inscribed on them. She has some letters written from Oyster Bay to um, Dorothy and um, Kate. She also has a scrapbook that has Dorothy's wedding picture in it. So she's been a great um, asset, in, including the diary. She's added a lot of visual. Um, she's given me visual help, and I've given her historic help, oh, because she yeah. really did not know. She had no idea. So, at some point, this is what you've written about for Women Around Town will be put together in a book. Yes. Which will follow Kate through World War I? No. To World War well, I. the first volume will be called... Um, Kate Rose, the Dowager's Diary, Kate Roosevelt, the social years, 1912 to 1913. Unfortunately, there's so much information in Kate's diary that I have to take it piece by piece. I can't 
I can't just throw it, throw everything out because I have to research everything she talks about. If she mentions a name, sometimes I'll go back, as I did with Florence Rhett, and try and figure out who in the world is Florence Rhett. And sometimes I hit a I hit a gold mine, and I find out this person that she's nonchalantly mentioned is really a very important historical figure or um, just an interesting person that maybe people would want to read about. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into what you're writing about for our site than just reading Kate's diary and regurgitating what she said. Absolutely. A lot of times you have to do the extra research. I do the lot. Uh, in fact, one of the um, people that attended her wedding was Nellie Blodgett. Turns out that Nellie Blodgett was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's godmother. Mm -hmm. So she mentions these names, and I, I just have to go back and find out who were they, because the circles that she traveled in were, were pretty impressive. Yes, absolutely. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I'm sure this isn't the last time we're going to hear from you, because uh, we'll want to come back and, and find out what's next in Kate Roosevelt's journey. And I, of course, invite all of you to come to Woman Around Town and catch up on everything that Sharon has written about Kate Roosevelt because it is uh, quite an amazing tale of someone who was so well connected at a very important time in our nation's history. So thank you for listening. Again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town, and I've been interviewing Sharon Hazard about her Dowager's Diary. <laughs>